Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review. With your hosts, Simon Jones and Wayne Bolt. Hello, hello, and welcome to Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review. With me, Simon Jones. And me, Wayne Bolt. Alright, we've been away for a little while, apologies for that, but we're back today with a double bill of a movie review and a TV review. Yeah, but before we go into that, we should just explain to our loyal listeners, while we've been away, um, we've been making our own little movies. Yes. What, movie? Yes, we took part in the Sci-Fi London 48-hour film challenge, which was the first time we tried doing anything like that. It all went fairly well. We finished the film, which is the main part of these challenges. Uh, didn't place in the finalists, unfortunately, but it was good stuff, and we may talk about that more in the future. Yes, but if you'd like to have a look at it, then do a search on Google or your uh, whatever preferred browser for The Orphan Factory, which is the name of the film. If you find a musician in America who calls himself The Orphan Factory, that's definitely nothing to do with us. No, just like nothing to, point to do out, with us. Nothing to do with us at all. Yeah, and we respect his trademark. Yes, we do. You do indeed. Talking of trademarks, um, in the last episode, Simon, it appears I made a little bit of a boo-boo with regards to Tyler Perry? Yes. Terry Pyler? Pyler exactly. Terry. Now, I've been informed since that Pyler Terry is a particularly famous uh, comedian, writer, director, sort of all-round entertainment person in the States. It is Pyler Terry, though, isn't it? Not Tyler Perry. Uh, Tyra Pelly. Ta- Tyra Perry. Yes, I think so. That's about right. But yes, a lot of people got uh, a bit incensed that we got that wrong and mm. didn't understand it. But unfortunately, because we're in the UK, uh, Terry Shahida isn't actually over here. He's, he's not made that, that crossing of the Atlantic. Um, so I think very US-centric entertainer there. So yes, yes apologies to uh, him, her. And if any of our American listeners out there would like to send us a, a small biography of uh, Telly Pyler, then I'm sure we're more than happy to correct it again in a future issue. Yes. So, so Mr. Terry, um, we apologise for um, mistaking you for a man or woman. Um, our sincerest apologies. Yes, and if you release some of your stuff in the UK, uh, we wouldn't have this kind of confusion. Mm. There we go. Right, so let's get straight in. Um, Iron Man 2, Simon. Yes, the latest movie from Marvel Studios, following in the footsteps of Iron Man 1 and the Incredible Hulk, and the next instalment in their attempt to bring together their Marvel Universe into the film medium. Wayne, what did you make of it? I'm bracing myself slightly here. I didn't like it. Hmm. Anything more? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just found it a bit dull. Nothing really seemed to happen. Uh, the, the dialogue was... Um, well, we ought to just say a little bit about the film, really, before we um, give too much away. I yeah, so following on from the first film, which introduced the character of Tony Stark, who becomes Iron Man by building lots of clever technology and going on to save lots of people. At the end, he reveals that he's Iron Man, and the sequel takes off from there, showing how his ego is coping with the fact that everyone knows he's a superhero, and the world kind of reacting against that. Yeah, and the US government trying to take the Iron Man project into the military, as opposed to it being in the hands of the independent philanthropist Stark. 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 Yes. Played by Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Uh, it's always got Mickey Rourke coming in as a character called Whiplash. You've got Scarlett Johansson coming in as another Marvel no, character called y- y- Black you say Widow. that's a very, very interesting point there. I, there's nowhere in the film that he was referred to as Whiplash. No, I think the same goes for Black Widow with Scarlett Johansson. I don't think her name is ever actually referenced. I think her actual name is, but her superhero alter ego yeah. name isn't, yeah, uh, which don't. was interesting. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that's... Um, I, I'm quite a fan of quite a lot of different graphic novel stuff, but I, I'm not such a Marvel fan. Right. And watching it, thinking, well, that probably needs to be 
something or someone, but yeah, maybe I think, just a little bit more explanation as to who they were. Yeah, it's a curious thing that Marvel are trying to do because they're they're doing something which and it hasn't really been tried in film before, and certainly not in the comic book movie genre. Whereas normally the movie is completely separate to the comics, they don't have this kind of uh, overall universe thing. Because obviously DC Comics and Marvel Comics, in the comic form, uh, all their characters exist within the same universe. Yeah. Um, whereas the Batman movies and the Superman movies and the X Men and Spider Man, that hasn't happened. They've all been completely separate. Whereas this new stuff, they're trying to bring it all together. Um, but you've got a whole lot of people who are watching these movies who aren't familiar with the comics and don't have 50 years of history and character lore and all this kind of stuff. So, from their point of view, the movies are coming across very differently to people that are already aware of the comic lore. Yeah. Um, For my part, I'm a big Marvel fan. I love all that stuff. And I think the movie probably played to me a lot better than that. So, you know, Captain America's shields being moved around in Stark's uh, lab... I find that really interesting and exciting. Um, whereas to someone else, it would go completely over their head. Um, and all the interactions with Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury character, for me, I'm quite excited because I can see it building towards stuff I've seen in the comic. For other people, it's just a completely random side plot in the film that never really goes anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, how did that all, all play out for you? Well, being a, a more of a fan of the DC stuff and sort of never really getting into Marvel, you can sort of see what they're trying to do. And you can see they're trying to pull things in, but... Not really knowing the source material, it it didn't really add anything to the film. In fact, it, it wasn't really confusing because you sort of know with these graphic novel stroke comic uh, conversions into films that, especially with Marvel, there is a much bigger universe. Uh, you just need to watch that from um, like if you watch X Men cartoons on TV or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, Stan Lee is very much into joining up his universe. But in Iron Man, I think they're just lumping it in and taking it for granted that the audience knows exactly yeah. who anyone is when anyone ever turns up. And they're going to go home and look it up on Wikipedia if yeah. they don't know. Yeah. Well, but only if you are particularly interested in the film. And I, I was watching it, and I, it just didn't hold my attention, to be honest. Yeah, I think structurally it's very odd. Um, I really enjoyed the film, but it felt to me like the next issue of the comic in movie form rather than a normal movie sequel in the way it was put together um, in the way it treats its characters and the general pacing and everything and like you say um, nothing huge happens in the film it's not like some of the other sequels we get where they really up the ante and go crazy which doesn't always work that can be pretty rubbish but it, it sort of functions in its, on its own terms whereas this it just feels like the next part of some continuing thing they're doing um, which either works for you or doesn't and I'm wondering whether once they've done it all once you've got all the Iron Man films and you've got Thor and you've got Captain America and then you do the Avengers once that's all in place I'm wondering whether each individual piece will maybe work a bit better because I remember watching Lord of the Rings when it came out and not being familiar with the books at the time I am now I'd hasten to add um, but watching Two Towers it didn't work for me in the slightest because as a single individual film not knowing the story it, it felt very open-ended and weird and the pacing was off and everything was very strange taking in the context of all three films it does work and I'm wondering if that would be similar with the Marvel stuff well you never know let's hope so let's hope it's been worth me sitting through about five <laughs> hours of, of Iron Man taking into account I've seen Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 um, so it just didn't really do it for me and mm. I, I, I I had an inkling that something was going to happen after the credits but I just couldn't be bothered to stay to the end <laughs> yeah something did happen but we're not uh, going to say what. No, and not, but I don't know. If you anyway, weren't a so. Marvel person, it would mean nothing. Yeah, I mean, so. of all the, of all the references, that would be the most confusing one right. as, as a non-Marvel fan. Um, so I would say, if you are a Marvel fan or 
if the Marvel films so far have really piqued your interest in that universe, uh, give it a go because I found it very entertaining from that point of view, um, and it's it's generally well put together. But like Wayne says, the structure is odd, and if you're not already committed to that universe, it's it's a dubious prospect. Yeah, um, if you want to see a graphic novel um, made as a film this summer, go see Kickass if it's still on. I'd yeah. say. Yeah, Kickass is uh, is better, but it's it's not beholden to trying to tie itself into a million other films, which yep. is what Marvel is struggling to do. Yep. Um, so yes, Iron Man um, depends on your point of view. There we go. Right. Um, so now it's time for our traditional visit to the trailer park. Yes. Due to some technical issues this week, we will only be looking at four films. But um, but what films? Yes, I'm sure they will make up for the loss of the fifth. So, kicking off, uh, we have African Cats. This is a film from Disney Nature. Disney Nature. Um, And it's a nature documentary about African cats. Yes. Um, And seems to be delivering on everything you'd expect from a nature documentary. Um, The problem I have with most nature documentaries, especially ones set in uh, nature parks in Africa, um, I've seen it all before. On BBC? Yeah, with David Attenborough. Yeah. What's the point in watching any other ones? Mm, Um, For for those of you uh, who aren't familiar with David Attenborough, uh, David Attenborough is a very well-known, a very well-respected broadcaster in the United Kingdom who started out as a programme controller on one of our terrestrial channels, um, but is most famous for his nature documentaries spanning 30, 40 years or so. Yeah. All of which are very high quality. And uh, as someone was saying, if you've seen any of these sort of nature documentaries, um, then you've probably seen this film. But I'm saying that if you like these sort of films, yeah. it, it looks quite good. It, it did look well made and looked great. Um, one thing I was a bit worried about was the music on top of it, which was really emotive and a bit sort of sentimental. Yeah, it's Disney and, though, isn't it? Yeah, this is the problem though. When they sentimentalise real nature... I don't know, it's kind of adding this human element to it that maybe isn't actually there. But but maybe it'll get kids interested in that kind of it stuff. Might, did so. you think I had my sentimental music playing when lions are tearing wildebeest apart? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they could just go through all sorts of back catalogue music. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, um, so, um, as is traditional in the trailer park, we give all of our uh, trailers we've seen a rating on the Gertie scale. Uh, Gertie, of course, being the uh, smiley or sad-faced robot from Moon which yes. hopefully you're aware of by now. Yeah, you better see Moon. We'll, yeah. be, we'll be having words. Yeah. So, African cat, Simon. Uh, smiley face. Looks like it does what it's trying to do quite well. Yeah, I'd say smiley face, uh, especially given what's coming up later. Yeah, and it would be an extremely ecstatic face if David Attenborough was narrating it. Yes. Did you know that a lot of his stuff has been re-voiceovered in the States by other people? No, I did not know that. No, I, I don't think we need to comment any further on that. It's just. Do you think it could be Terry Pyler? Possibly. Piloteering? Possibly. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe that's why we don't know him. So, uh, vaguely staying in the animal theme, we have trailer number two, Daddy Longlegs. Yes. Now, going into this, judging from the poster and the title, I was expecting Eddie Murphy's latest wacky comedy in which he plays about ten different mm. characters in strange makeup. Mm. But it's not. It's a film by Josh and Benny Safdie. Ah, yes. I should have known. Mm. Uh, this is a Sundance winner, I believe. Yeah, and it was um, a favourite from Cannes 2009. Um... Festival uh, film, basically. Yeah. Yes, it's a whimsical music movie about being a dad. Mm. Um, I was really bored all the <laughs> way through the trailer, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid <laughs> to admit these things. Because um, I was... 
it was it was about a dad. Yeah, someone being a dad. A dad going around with some kids, and the, the, at, at one point, some change fell out of his pocket. I noticed. Yeah, that was quite exciting. That yeah, bit. was the most interesting yeah. bit. Uh, the the problem with that sort of thing is, you know, being a dad and having kids is wonderful. Uh, if it's you, and it's you're the dad, and you know, I've got some kids, or maybe even if it's your friends, but this just seemed to be a random bloke with some kids in a movie, and I'd rather just deal with real people. I don't, <laughs> there didn't seem to be anything interesting in the fiction to draw me to it no. but there you go All right, so maybe it's not the kind of film you can put a trailer to really. it, it, this is one of the things I know people have commented before about when we review uh, the trailers in the trailer part they think we're having to go at the movie mm. and that's not necessarily true we're having to go at the trailers and if the trailer's <laughs> no good yeah I'm getting up to that <laughs> yeah, if the trailer's no good then then it doesn't sell the movie the whole point of the trailer is it's got to grab your attention to, to watch the movie so for those people who've seen the movie and think it's wonderful, then that's fine. It may well be. But yeah, and let us know if it is. Yeah, but the trailer itself just is just dull as dishwater. Mm-hmm. So moving on to uh, give our Gertie ratings yes. to this film. Um, I'm afraid I've got to give it a sad face. Um, I'm going to give it a sad face as well. Yeah. I said the movie may be great, but the trailer is just dull, dull, dull. Yes, a sad, slightly tired-looking face. So rush beyond the lighted stage. Uh, Rush are one of Rock's most influential bands. I didn't know that. Uh, it, it tells him the trailer. Yeah, not being a, a music-y person. Well, I do like music, but I'm not very familiar with it. Um, I'd never heard of this band before, which is probably really poor. No, they, they are quite a classic. Uh, a 70s and 80s classic rock band. Mm. who have had a, a lot of hits. It's basically a, a rockumentary uh, looking at um, their... Well, their, their rise to fame and glory and power and stuff um, if you've ever played Guitar Hero or any of those sort of things a rock band then you'll probably come across some Rush tracks on there yeah, okay. on the top of my head but um, you know, it's, a, it's a documentary about a rock band there's not really much more to say no it did look like it was fairly comprehensive and it had lots of input from other very well known names yeah. in rock so it's by no means a kind of cheap throwaway documentary they've really you know done the job properly yeah it was done by the same people who did the Iron Maiden uh, uh, okay uh, rockumentary so you know if you're into rockumentaries then yeah or into the band or into obviously. the band then it's well worth it and there we go so smiley face yeah I think smiley face for me because yeah, I'm quite into face sort of music it, it's an interesting question actually about documentaries and that do you have to be previously interested in the subject to enjoy a documentary I'm not sure it depends on the subject yeah I mean Rush to me it looked like I could actually probably enjoy it even not knowing much about the period, so yeah. Well, actually, I got a good answer to you for that because uh, I remember way back when I was um, sixteen, seventeen-ish. Um, I ended up watching uh, about two o'clock in the morning on one of our TV channels over here a documentary about a band called Jeffro Tull. And I'd never heard of them before, and I just thought, wow, this band are great. And uh, I've been into them ever since, and it's got me into a whole uh, range of. Um, sort of rocky, folky kind of music, and that's be- purely because of a documentary I saw. Yeah. So, if it gets it at the right time, it can have an influence yeah. and an impact on your life, which that one did with me. And maybe for people who don't know about Rush, um, this might do the same thing for them. So, yeah. I, 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 I think I'm it's the difference between a good documentary and a kind of fan film, almost. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that's what separates them. Yeah. Right. So, lastly, um, we have a film. Uh, a trailer for a film called In Slash Significant Others. Forward Slash. 
That's probably an important. Yes, could be. Yeah, it could be. Um, so, yeah, this appears to be about a bunch of guys making a documentary about somebody. Yeah. Um, after all the documentaries we'd seen in the trailer part this week, I wasn't sure if it was a documentary or not at first. Um, but they make a documentary about someone, then a crime occurs, and they realise that a lot of the footage that they've captured in this documentary is going to reveal who did, who did it, it, essentially. That appeared to be the, the premise. And for the first third of the trailer, I was actually thinking, oh, this looks quite interesting, actually. Were you? Quite, I was. I was thinking oh. this is a really interesting concept. Um, an idea to have in a movie. That should, it wasn't exciting me that much, but the core idea was a good one. Um, and, and then it carried on and it went on a bit more and it just kept going. We were looking at our watches to see how, how, um, how long it was going yeah, on for. It, it, it was only about two minutes or so, but it seemed like two hours. Really, it felt much longer than not a good trailer. Um, it felt like um, one of those really long trailers you get for a summer blockbuster where they show you everything in the movie. Except because it's not that kind of movie, uh, you <laughs> didn't have to show. Yeah, you didn't have the big money shots, so you just had all these disconnected scenes, which maybe when you watch them in the movie are good scenes, yeah. but cut up into this trailer, it didn't really yeah. have any so, drive. So once again, the movie may be fantastic. If anyone has seen it, then why not let us know or, or lampast us on the internet somewhere. But the trailer itself... It looks so dull. It doesn't make me want to see the movie. Yeah, so, and it actually went from me being interested in it to really not being interested by two minutes later. Yeah. So, um, that's another sad face for me. Yeah, trailer failed this week. Yeah, apart from, I suppose, you know, African Cats. That might be yeah. an after watch um, when we get home. And Rush as well, if you want to get into that sort of music, that'd be fine. Yeah. Um, right, so that's it for the trailer part. Before we get into Doctor Who, um, I'd just like to mention... Um, some news about Transformers 3 ah, now, yeah. now, now as you know uh, if you've been law listeners to, we to our podcast we loved Transformers <laughs> 2 last year yeah um, the second worst film of last year um, well from which, our point of view which says a lot about last year really. <laughs> um, yeah but Transformers 3 uh, Alien Tudyk yes is going to be in yes it. of course he played Wash in Serenity and Firefly he's also in Dollhouse he was in 310 Yuma he was the robot in iRobot yeah, um, and he was in V yeah, um, he's really good. Yeah, we, um, we like him. He's an actor that, uh, no matter the quality of the material, he was he's in, in Dodgeball. He was, yes, yeah. yes. He's always good, no matter what he's in. Yeah. Um, so he'll probably be the best thing about Transformers Three. Yeah. Uh, but it's annoying because it means that I probably will go yeah. see it. Um, and also interesting today, I noticed that Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf. I don't know if he said it today, um, but I read it today that he said, "Well, Transformers Two sort of lost the heart I thought yes, was going on, that was interesting. and he wasn't really that impressed of it, and he wanted to make Transformers Three go back to the heart of what it's all about." Which, surely the heart of Transformers is watching robots transform and then being able to play them as a kid. That surely is what Transformers mm-hmm. is about. But it was interesting to see someone so closely associated with the film essentially admitting that it was crap. I mean, he yeah. didn't come out and say that, but to be saying he anything at all like that. that. Yeah, read between um, lines. So that, that, that was quite intriguing. Um, whether Michael Bay is going to be happy with his comments, we shall see. Yeah. But, um, and we'll only tell if he's in it next year or not. Yeah, yeah. But it is odd because he said uh, he lost lost the heart in Transformers Two, and then he said that Transformers Three is going to be the craziest action ever, which seems slightly contradictory. In what you were saying? But there, there we go. go. <laughs> right. So that brings us now on to Doctor Who. Now, what we're looking at particularly is the um, probably the first half of the latest series of, of Doctor Who with the new Doctor, uh, new Doctor played by Matt Smith, um, new assistant uh, played by. Karen, Karen Gillen, Gillen um, and of course helmed by Stephen Moffat, who has probably written some of the best Doctor Who episodes of the new Who um, era. 
Yeah. So we've obviously had the three, four seasons with Russell T Davies, with Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, and now it's shifted over to this this entirely new everything really, new cast, new crew, new people in charge. Um, yeah. And. It comes off quite a long period, which for me was a real low point in Doctor Who. Um, there were occasional episodes that were good, uh, but on the whole, I feel for a long time it's been sort of swimming about in these slightly confused, not really knowing whether it wants to be a Hollywood blockbuster or Doctor Who or what. Um, and it, yeah, it's not worked for me for a long time. David Tennant, I've loved. Um, yeah. I've always associated David Tennant's reign as the Doctor, a bit like Pierce Brosnan's time as James Bond in that they're both great actors and were really good in the roles, but the actual films or episodes they were in uh, were pretty rubbish. Yeah, but some of the David Tennant episodes were some of the best ones we've had in a long time. Um, Like we got Blink, which was the one with the statues, but written written by by Stephen Stephen Moffat. And And there was the one with the gas masks, which was uh, written by Stephen Moffat. Yeah, and also a a non-Stephen Moffat one. Uh, Yeah, it was the one, I can't remember what story it was called, but it's the one where he went to the school Yes, um, I can't remember the name, but it was written by Paul Cornell, yeah. who's a really close friend of uh, no. a friend of ours, Chris Bedett, who went to his wedding. Yeah. Um, so yes, there has been high points in the series over the last few years, but um, it's kind of gone towards this blockbustery feel that doesn't suit Doctor Who. Well, I don't think so. I'm 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 not that familiar with old Who. No, I certainly no. <laughs> There's no way that you could say that the old uh, Doctor Who ever had a Hollywood blockbuster feel. No, exactly. I but, mean, the closer to a blockbuster feel you're going to get is an episode would have been filmed in the back room of a blockbuster video store. <laughs> um, but the problem with the new stuff is that they're going for this blockbuster sensibility, which A, doesn't really suit the character, and B, they didn't actually have the technical ability to pull it off most of the time. So it ended up looking really shoddy compared to American sci-fi like Battlestar Galactica and stuff like that. I know they're completely different shows, but the production quality should be the same for the BBC's premiere sci-fi show. And this season, they seem to have really upped... The, yeah. the technical qualities on every level. Yeah. The, the other thing as well, which was um, most annoying, um, which is what a lot of the British viewers will really get uh, a goat about, is the old um, showrunner, Russell T. Davis, um, just seemed to be trying to introduce so many different agendas in, into, into the show. And it wasn't... He just couldn't tell an extended story for tea time viewing. Now, I say tea time viewing because he's done a lot of fairly good kid stuff, and one of his spin off series, the Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, is absolutely um, cracking. You know, it's because it's a tea, it's a kid's show, so it's aimed at kids. He was also, uh, Rusty Davis, one of the early things he did as well, um, was for a show called On the Waterfront, which was around in the um, 1980s or so. Um, there was a segment on it where the, there was like a comedy show and these comedy actors in it uh, overdubbed a French swashbuckling show called The Flashing Blade. And I remember that being really quite a funny high point of watching that sort of Saturday morning stuff. And that was written by Rusty Davis and that also was very good. Yeah, and, he, and, and he went on to do Queer as Folk as well, which was a very well regarded drama about gay life in the UK, which at the time was pretty cutting edge uh, yeah. because no one had done it, anything quite like it before. Um, yeah, but that's once again that's another extreme of like, the viewing time. It's it's a yeah. late at night uh, kind of show. So we got he's very good at doing the kids stuff. He's good at doing the later stuff. I mean um, the um, Torchwood, that most recent series of Torchwood, was very good. Yeah, um, Doctor uh, Who though it it really it, ideally needs to straddle that kind of Pixar quality of uh, kids sort of slightly well a really wide range of kids and also enjoyable by adults um, and uh, it never quite got that balance for me no. uh, but let's stop reviewing Rusty Davis stuff yeah, and talk we, yes. about the new stuff yeah 
um, which is marvellous. Yep. So far, so good. Um, what I like about it, it is it, it has that feel of classic Doctor Who, um, but done in, in the modern style of doing Doctor Who. The new theme music I really like. When it first came out, a lot of people sort of pretty much were poo-pooing it. But it has the it has the Tom Bakery, Peter Davison kind of uh, uh, quality to the intro music. And also with the opening credits, but it's a bit more tunnelly once again, mm. like the Tom Baker side of things. So I'm getting the feeling uh, from from this that it's so much more reverential to the old classic Doctor Who stuff, and which is what Doctor Who is all about. Yeah, and so far it's been about good ideas, because Stephen Moffat's episodes when he did the occasional one back in the day were all about a single good idea that he'd then explore, rather than let's have a thousand million Daleks coming out of the sky. Um, and so far this season, that's pretty much what they've done. They've taken an interesting idea and then explored it yeah. to its like limits. I'm particularly looking forward to how this series plays out. Um, but more interested in how series two of the Moffat Reign is going uh, to play out. Because we've got to look at this series as well, that Stephen Moffat's got to take the Russell T. Davis audience and it can't just change it overnight because that would be a suicidal thing to do because yeah. I'm sure a lot of the popularity of Doctor Who comes from the viewers who are brought up on the new style of doing it. So I think he's trying to introduce and take us back to a more classic sort of feel of Who um, but can't do it all in one go. Yeah. What's very clever is this new plotline he's brought in which is this crack in the universe that kind of events and characters and time are being sucked out of and just disappearing. Um, that seems to be a slightly cheeky and slightly clever way to kind of retcon out all of us with your Davis's stuff because part of the thing with Who is the charm that the human race is completely oblivious to the fact that Doctor Who's constantly yep. saving them and only uh, the companion and maybe uh, a couple a of A unit, for example. Exactly. Like Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart um, were know all about that and there's a few people around whereas at the end of the old series everyone was the, the world kept getting destroyed um, regularly. Yeah, it got invaded a million times and yeah. shifted across the universe so there's nothing wondrous and amazing and terrifying about alien invasions and stuff like that because everyone was like yeah whatever it's another one uh, but this new plotline has enabled uh, him to kind of reset the clock without yeah. just doing a big reset button Star Trek style which, which would be lazy yeah um, uh, Matt Smith what do you think oh, very good uh, he's um, he's uh, fantastically qualified because he went to one of the premier universities uh, in the United Kingdom yes. the University of East Anglia yeah, I like to think he picked up a few things from us yes um, even though he was there a long time after yeah. Uh, um, um, but yeah he's doing a great job he's uh, he's very he's cunningly managed to weave in a little bit of David Tennant yeah. um, which is kind of leading his performance in a way but at the same time he's going off in a completely different direction um, he's coming across as a bit more dangerous yep. I think um, a bit more alien yes yeah, there's something slightly odd and about a bit more him. distant from from the human race yeah well thankfully they're, they're, they don't seem to be going down the everyone's in love with the doctor and think he's a god because that was really irritating yeah. as well. He's just—he's essentially a scientist now. He yeah. goes around uh, experimenting yeah. and trying to save. He's gone back to things. a bit of a quirky dress sense again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think they're doing. What's well, going beyond uh, just uh, Matt Smith now? Who, who's, who's doing a very good job of it? But they're um, also doing more stuff like with the old classic. Once again, we're looking at more the tide or something to see more and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Amy Pond, the new? Uh, I think she's. Great. I nearly said receptionist. It's no receptionist. She's not a receptionist. She's a stripper. Yeah, well, it's a kissogram. No, that's a stripper, essentially. But they, apparently, they couldn't say stripper because it was too early. Oh, right. But um, yeah, I think she's great. Um, there have been some really good companions over the last few years, but uh, and to actually split off from that and do something new is quite a challenge. But she seems to have done it nicely. She's really sort of fiery and has her own 
agenda and, and it's also quite morally dubious which I rather like yeah um, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's certainly the best assistant I think since Ace Ace was the uh, one of the Sylvester McCoy uh, uh, assistants yeah, yeah. I think for me, the, the greatest achievement in this new series so far is it's starting to sort of reach the general quality levels that you get from some US shows. Um, it's always had the story element, well, except for some of the wobbly stuff I've talked about, but it's been good at the story side, but fallen down in the production side, and I've always been a little embarrassed about talking to American friends with their shows, and they go, oh, have you seen Doctor Who? And it's, you know, it looks cheesy and cheap and a, a bit amateur. But this new series has really raised the bar in yep. every level, I think. It looks better, music's better, uh, the acting and writing is better, and the visual effects, they're not quite up to US levels, but they're it's getting loads there. It's better. Getting there. It's getting um, there. And yeah, it just feels like a show that can hold its own against yep. other stuff. Uh, and Stephen Moffat's taken it back to it being a children's fairy tale sent to space, which is what it always has been. Yes. Doctor Who started out as a, as a kid's educational show, actually, was the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. That's where it got its budget from. So we're going back there. Uh, so I think this series, is so so far, is it's doing pretty well. It's had some really good episodes. It's not the absolutely fantastic, 100% brilliant Stephen Moffat stuff all the time, because that would just be unsustainable. But so far, the general quality has, has, has been good, and I'm hoping this is a bridging kind of series to go from take the the old RTD era uh, to hopefully what we really want to see with uh, Stephen yeah. Moffat next year. And obviously Where next, next year, year we've got Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman. In yeah. yeah, which so was obviously be... news that broke at SFX Weekender down at Pontins. Yep. Um, so yeah, very excited that the the fact that they're able to attract writers of Gaiman's stature is says a lot about the new direction they're going yep. in, I think. Anyway, so in summary from this episode, Iron Man 2, you'll probably love it or find it meh. Yeah. Um, trailers this week well there's nothing really outstanding yeah we'll get back to you next time about yep. some trailers yep. and Doctor Who uh, great stuff if, if you're a fan then it, it's better than it has been for years yep. um, and if, if Doctor Who's not been your thing before it might be worth giving it another shot it may well be they are doing good stuff okay right and just lastly um, just to give you our contact details if you want to comment on anything we've talked about in the show such um, as Perry Talila yeah um, to let us know uh, exactly um, who he she they is could be may have been Um, you can contact us by emailing us at simonandwayne at spiffingreview.com or you can twitterfy us uh, over at spiffingreview or sorry oh uh, that's my West Country Wits coming out again you can twitter us over at spiffingreview yep on your tractor on my tractor I don't have a tractor by the way do you not? no well I had a little toy tractor oh there you go I do but not not anymore Hmm. does that make you sad? Not really. Yeah. I did write a song once about riding the tractor well, when I was go. in a, a very bad band. Uh, we were called Thunder Sheep. I think that's what we were. Yeah, we were. Yeah. But hopefully none of the music we ever recorded, I don't know why we recorded it, uh, still exists. But I did write one called Riding the Tractor. Anyway. Yeah, we um, learned something about Wayne this week. Yes, you did. I've not told anyone about that for a while, actually. Really? You just told right. the whole world. <laughs> I did, yeah. Right. Or you can visit our website, uh, www.spiffingreview.com. Yes, and don't forget, you can also see The Orphan Factory, our 48-hour film challenge film there as well. So, uh, yes, thank you for listening, and we shall see you next time. But we don't know when. No, hopefully soon, but you know what we're like. Okay, goodbye! Goodbye! Goodbye!